1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. Everybody, welcome to another edition of the Inside OU Podcast. This is Brady Trantham along with Mr. John Hoover via the computer machine. Uh, no Rufus Alexander this week. He is in transit right now on the way back home to Louisiana for uh, what I assume is Thanksgiving. Uh, John, I keep forgetting that it's Thanksgiving this week because of just OU football at the end of the um, on Saturday. But uh, Thunder basketball, of course, it, it's hard to keep track of normal human things when you're just stuck in the middle of the beat reporting duties. I'll tell you, uh, that's that's one of the things that we signed up for, Brady, is the uh, no personal life. No vacation, no Saturdays, no weekends. Um, and, and yeah, I was uh, t- I was texting with Colby Powell earlier. We're doing some stuff for uh, some crossover uh, segments and, and episodes for Locked On Sooners and Locked On Pokes. And I was like, uh, so when do you want to do it? He's like, I can do it Friday at your house. I'm like, what? What did Friday at my house? I thought you lived in Oklahoma City. He says, I'm going to be at my in-laws in Tulsa for Thanksgiving. I thought, oh, my God, it's Thanksgiving. You're 100% right. I, I had no idea uh, when you're locked into this weekly grind that is football or, in your case, NBA basketball, you just don't see these things coming. No, it's um, – I don't know. Like I, I forgot yesterday was Monday. Uh, like I mean, the NBA, there's a game every other night. And, you know, sometimes the Thunder will have back to backs and you just your concept of time just goes out the window. I mean, but for college football, like covering college football or even just following it, like obviously you schedule your entire week if you're a football fanatic around Saturday and it's it's exciting. And yes, John, you have I'm assuming that you have fun at your job and it's cool that your job primarily is around football stadiums on Saturdays and more more times than not pretty good weather. But it's not just Saturday for you. I mean, like you're pumping out content on the franchise. Okay.com. Uh, you, like you mentioned earlier, you got the locked on Sooners podcast that you do Monday through Friday. And like, I can only imagine like how excited are for Thanksgiving. Are you, are you even, are you even going to get to enjoy it? I'll tell you, honestly, I, I love Thanksgiving. I love being with family. I love the football aspect of just laying around and watching games if they're on and hanging around, telling stories and recounting the old days. And, you know, but you talk about a damn disruption. I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't have time for Thanksgiving this week. I mean, let's do this next week or something, because uh, then this regular season's over and I've got plenty of time. But this week, it is a drag on the old uh, the old schedule. Yeah, it's funny because we're we're, go- we're doing uh, three different family things this week, and I'm like, you know oh, what? God, today is the day to podcast. I'm on a podcast for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. We don't have one on Thursday, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday coming out. Or not coming out, but they're going to be posted. You're 100% right. It's uh, I've got another story to get up on the franchiseok.com as well. Uh, posted the one today about uh, Grant Calcaterra's interview last night. Just heartbreaking stuff. If you haven't seen the video, go to my YouTube page. Just look for John Hoover and check it out. Because it is uh, very uplifting and yet heart-wrenching to watch Grant Calcaterra do his interview. He, he had to stop and compose himself for about 30 seconds. He started crying. It was tough to, tough to watch. Yeah, and I guess that's a good opportunity to kind of segue right into uh, the Oklahoma Sooners this week. And um, like like we mentioned, and I, I don't know if we've actually mentioned it, it's Tuesday that we're recording this. We weren't able to do it Monday. So Monday is when John and the media were able to go talk to Grant Calcaterra. But uh, yeah, like you said, John, I, I checked out your video uh, actually this morning when I was getting ready and saw that video. And like, yeah, you, you described it really perfectly. It's it's really sad. It's sad that, you know, um, he's making the right decision, obviously, for longevity, health, personal life, all those things. But you could still see that he very much still wants to play football, that he loves the game of football and that he you can you can imagine that um, any time a player has is forced to retire, you know, all those thoughts of I'm letting my brothers down, my teammates down. I mean, that that those are the emotions that Grant Calcaterra is probably dealing with right now. And it's incredibly unfortunate. Um, he, he's so talented. Um, it's really hasn't affected, you know, like for OU's perspective, hasn't really affected them on offense that much this year because they have so many talented pass catchers. But at the end of the day, I mean, these are human beings. These are 
kids coming into young adulthood right before our eyes watching them play football on Saturdays. And it was uh, it was a pretty sad watch, but sad in kind of a half good, half bad way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking to see, you know, these these kids come in with such dreams and high hopes and and such a passion for the game. And it was taken away from him, you know, by the violence of the sport of football. It's a violent game. It's a collision sport. And I stopped uh, after the interview, you know, Grant shook hands with, there was probably about mm, 12 of us, maybe 15 of us there. And he, some of the guys and girls, you know, turned around and, okay, thanks, Grant. Good luck, whatever, and walked away. But most of us, probably about 10 of us stood around and after the interview was over and shook his hand and wished him well and talked to him for a few minutes. And I, as I tend to do, I waited him out. I waited them all out. And I told him the story about my daughter getting three concussions in a 12 month period and playing soccer. And he said, that's pretty much, pretty much what my schedule was three concussions in a 12 month period. So, uh, very difficult. You know, I told him that she had to miss class and he said, yeah, I had to go through some of that as well. Not just miss class. Like, you know, I got to go do a concussion checkup, could not go to class for three weeks. And, and he said, yeah, I had to do some of that as well, where, you know, I was just couldn't look at the phone, couldn't look at the computer, couldn't watch the, the Xbox or whatever, had to put the sunglasses on. Just uh, it can be it can be kind of debilitating to have a concussion. I had two of them in high school about a year apart. I, I should say I had at least two that I know about yeah. at least a year apart in high school. It can be debilitating. It feels like it's hollowing you out. It feels like there's something inside you that's like there's like somebody took a giant ice cream scoop and scooped out part of your soul or part of your brain. Or it's hard to describe, but it it can be uh, real debilitating. It's funny. I was I was talking to him. I was I was participating in the interview, I should say, and I just I something in me listening to him describe it kind of was like a flashback, like a little PTSD from 30 years ago when I had my concussions. And I, I started feeling that, not that I was, you know, experiencing it, but I, I could remember what it felt like. And it was, it hollowed you out, man. It was, it was very difficult to sit there and watch that having been someone who's, who's experienced what he's gone through. Yeah. I mean, no question. I mean, this, this is kind of what you sign up for when you are playing a sport like football. I mean, you're not always guaranteed to get a concussion or to get hurt, but I mean, that's the risk that's involved. And unfortunately for Grant, I mean, it just, it wasn't his future. It just wasn't in his, in his story to be told as he, you know, graduates from Oklahoma and goes on with the rest of his life. And he said in that video that when, uh, that he released over, I can't remember, was it over the weekend or so? Um, about how he wants to go back home to Southern California where he's from and go be a firefighter and considering mm-hmm. what's going on in Southern California right now, it's really, it, it was just, it was cool to hear that he has like a plan and that he's not just kind of going to be drifting through life because there's a hole now there's no more football. Maybe that was his, his whole goal from the time he was a kid to be, go play in the NFL, but it's good at least to see that he has a future in front of him. But um, yeah, I mean, you you watch football, you cover football long enough, and you see stories like this every few years or so. And no matter what, it's always it's always difficult to swallow. Yeah, and one of the things that stands out to me is he reached out to other football players who gave up their careers because of concussions, and he wasn't asking them like medical advice. He was asking them, "Do you regret your decision?" And and they both yeah. told him, "No, I don't regret my decision. I've moved on with my life, and football's behind me now." So. He, I think he's at peace with it, and I'm, and I'm happy for him that at least in some respect he gets to go out on his own terms. He's still a young man. He's got a long, uh, bright future ahead of him, uh, and I, you know, hopefully the uh, concussions stay away. I know in my daughter's case, she still has a little headache from time to time, and she thinks it's definitely because of the, the series of concussions that she had. So hopefully those kind of level out, and uh, hopefully they level out for Grant as well. Good God, soccer. Calm down now. I know. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's hard to segue from that because that that's like real life. And now let's talk about silly football <laughs> and how we it's get just all bedlam week. I mean, no big deal. And let's talk about silly football and how we get pissed off at old white guys when they make their little silly college football rankings and how embarrassingly bad they are. I mean, no, um, it is bedlam week, as everybody is well aware. Um, but let's touch on TCU just a little bit, John, because we didn't have a chance to meet up after the TCU game. Um, what an odd game. And it's it's just another example of this team pretty much since the West Virginia game in week seven or week eight, whenever that was, 
of not being able to put together four quarters of good football. And that's not to say that they need to, on defense, shut out their opponent and then on offense score a touchdown in two plays on every single drive. But you know good football through four quarters when you see it. OU has yet to do that since West Virginia. And it's really setting up for a Bedlam game with Jalen Hurts, who has become very charitable this holiday season by giving the football (laughs) away to his opponent. You know, and oftentimes just because like he's not getting hit, he's just like, here you go. Take it. I don't want it. And you uh, going up against Oklahoma State with a backup quarterback and Drew Brown. And, and I know you uh, were able to watch the OSU West Virginia game, John, not very talented in terms of arm strength. This is setting up to be a bedlam game of, you know, maybe the, the winning team scores in the 30s. Just because of the ineptitude of the offenses. And, you know, I guess with the TCU game, John it's so weird. Like we've seen, Oh, you do this pretty much all year. They'll start quick. They'll get out to a 14 0 17 0 lead 21. Um, Oh, in, in terms of the TCU game. And then the offense goes three and out because they're human and they'll make mistakes and the defenses will adjust. And then the defense might give up a touchdown. And then it just seems like the air gets let out of the, out of the building. It's like, Oh God, here we go again. The defense is going to start giving up touchdowns. Well, in this instance, they didn't. The, de- the defense saved the day against TCU. And to me, John, it, it's brought up this thought that I've had over the last few weeks. And I don't mean to sound hot takes, but I'll just dive right into it. Do you think Lincoln Riley is doing a, a good job adjusting to the adjustments that the opponent is making in game to Oklahoma's offense? Because to me, it just it doesn't seem like they are, because like I said, they'll get up 17-0, 21-0, and then the air gets let out of the building. Yeah, or they'll find, fall behind 28-3 and come all the way back and win the game. Just weird. Late in the fourth it's quarter. just weird. I, I, honestly, you ask that question, is Lincoln Riley doing a good job? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea because here's the thing. They're, they keep winning these games yep. against what I think are pretty quality teams. I think TCU is a lot better than its record in terms of the way they play defense and they have t- talented running backs and that quarterback really has a lot of talent as well. Although I know, I know he's young. I don't think their offensive line's very good, but they do have Jalen Rager who they refuse to get the football to. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The, the teams that they're playing are good and Oklahoma is struggling, but the Sooners are winning. So I, I, I cannot, I, I cannot get a read other than to say for the second week in a row, I took uh, Oklahoma's opponent as my lock supply lock of the week because I got a bunch of points. In this case, 18 points. And when it was 21 nothing, somebody came up and leaned over my shoulder and said, still feel good about that lock of the week? I'm like, yeah, it's 21 nothing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> have, you, have you seen them play in the last three weeks? And, and sure enough, they get outscored 24-7 the rest of the way. Yeah, man, I don't get it. I, I can't put my finger on this team other than to say – the inconsistency that we're seeing, it is who they are. That is their identity. Is they're they're not the the best offense in the country. They're not the most improved defense in the country. They're, I mean, they are, technically speaking, but they're also the single most inconsistent team in the country. And I cannot put my finger on which one is going to show up. Not just in a game, Brady, but in one quarter or one half. Yeah. And, you know, before OU fans kind of jump all over me for saying like, oh, like Brady is like calling out Lincoln Riley when he's, you know, heading the the number one offense in the country. And like Lincoln Riley is a fantastic offensive coordinator. He's a fantastic offensive mind. He's the best one in the country. And I'm glad that he's Oklahoma's coach. It's just a question. And, And to prove that I'm not super crazy hot take guy right now, you can also look at it from this perspective. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, John. So going back to the Kansas State game, you got Kansas State, you got the bye week, you got Iowa State, you got Baylor on the road, and then you've got TCU. Those four teams defensively, I mean, they rank in the top 40, right? Mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, yep. th- those are top 40, top 30 defenses in the country, and those are the top four defenses in the conference, or four of the you know five or top six in the conference. Yeah, I think Oklahoma's in, in there as, in the co- conversation as top five for sure. Yeah. So you can look at it from this perspective. Okay, they played by far the toughest stretch of their schedule, and they got through it with just one loss. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there were a lot of like WTF, what's going on moments in those games, of course. But OU's offense got by. OU's defense made a lot of plays, a lot of big plays to help clinch wins. 
And now they're going into Bedlam against OSU with a defense that is nothing to write home about. Maybe the offense will start to resemble more of what it looked like prior, you know, to the West Virginia game, uh, prior to the Texas game when they were scoring in the 40s and 50s and looking like a run-of-the-mill normal Lincoln-Riley offense. But at the same time, John, there is such thing as momentum. There is such thing as, you know, stuff starts to creep into your head when it keeps happening and keeps happening. So maybe maybe it's not just as simple as, okay, oh, he's playing a, an average at best defense. Their offense will look better. But maybe it's, maybe it's kind of more of the offense has looked shaky in four four or five games in a row now. Maybe they just don't have the confidence. Maybe Jalen Hurst doesn't just doesn't have the confidence that um, they can go out there and perform at the highest level like they were prior to the uh, Texas game this year. Yeah, you're right, Brady. Uh, I just looked at the OU too deep, and here's here's what here's my point on this. There are 12 guys on the OU too deep right now on the defensive side, just on the defense alone, not the offense, just on the defense that are freshmen or redshirt freshmen or sophomores. This is a young team. This is an inexperienced team. And I think that's catching up with them. I think what they're, what you're seeing is that really ex- experienced offensive line against Kansas State and even more experienced offensive line against Iowa State, a very experienced defense, and, and again, offensive line against Baylor. And I think the TCUs is loaded with a bunch of juniors and seniors. These are young guys that are going out playing against guys that are two years, three years, so in some cases four years older than them. And I hate to say it, but they're getting their ass whipped in a yeah. lot of these cases. In a lot of the one-on-one matchups, this young, inexperienced team is getting taken to the woodshed. So I think that's part of what we're seeing. Um, are they more talented than their opponents? I, I think they are. I don't think there's really very much question that in terms of athletic talent, athletic ability, um, recruiting, NFL projections, all that type of stuff. I think Oklahoma is a more talented team than the teams they've been playing against. But in terms of ex- game experience, actually being out there on a college football field, um, playing in intense situations, I think this team is still trying to find its way. And 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 maybe it's a little bit of uh, searching in the dark without a flashlight sometimes because their head coach is 35 years old now and he's in his third season as a head coach and he's never done this before either. You know, yeah. he's never he's never as a head coach been backed into a corner four straight weeks. So there, there's some. I think there's some uh, youth and inexperience showing up, both on the part of the of the roster, the two deep, as well as the head coach. Yeah, and that's the other angle of, 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 with this as well. Is you know, I think a lot of people are excited about Kansas State's head coach Kleiman uh, moving forward, but uh, definitely out of those four games, those are three of the top coaches in this conference: Gary Patterson. Uh, Matt Campbell, Matt Rule, those are three high-quality coaches, not just in the conference, but you can put them up with about any other uh, coaches in the bottom half of the uh, the best teams of the conference across the, the entire Power Five. So, um, I, like, yeah, OU has been tested in so many ways this year, and they've been pushed and pushed and pushed. And there is the thought out there that maybe they're about to play their best football. They haven't peaked yet. And I think Lincoln Riley even... I can't remember if he said that to your question, particularly in the uh, press conference on Monday or the post game after TCU. He said that, but he also said, and I think this was also to you, John, so kudos to you for just kicking ass, um, how he he didn't think that they played their best football or really well even at the beginning of the year where they were blowing out their opponents because I think that's what we're all kind of waiting for is the, the silly game control metric and that in the thing where OU just, when they play an opponent that they're clearly better than, they just beat them by like 20 or 25 points and the game's over midway through the third quarter and everybody has a good time. That hasn't really happened yet. And some people, I guess, are expecting that, yeah, they're about to peak right now at the right time, whereas previous OU teams would peak in late October all the way into November, and then they would fall off in the bowl game or the playoff game. So, I mean, it's so hard to, to tell where this team is because of what you just said about their identity. It's inconsistent. So I really don't know what to expect. Yeah. And, and the whole thing about, you know, playing Houston and you're up in the big in the fourth quarter, or you're, you know, having a good time on the bench against South Dakota, or you're out in the San Gabriel mountains in the sunset and you're enjoying the the scenery out at UCLA or you open the conference season with a rebuilding Texas Tech team, and then you go to Kansas, and then you go to a Texas team that is just completely c- continues to tumble into oblivion. 
Uh, and then you go to West Virginia and you're blowing all these teams out, except for Texas, of course. But you're, you're, for the most part, you're blowing all these teams out. Uh, you certainly could have and should have blown Texas out. But uh, then you start getting into fistfights in the fourth quarter. And guys who haven't really been playing the fourth quarter are having to play. And they're not only having to play, they're having to make winning plays or deci- game deciding plays. Yeah, I think I think these this team is growing up really before our eyes. I'm I'm you know, I think you know me. I'm not one to sit here and and toot the company horn or you know wave the crimson and cream pom poms or anything. I think that's it's my just job. Part, yeah, I think it's just part of the phenomenon of of where this team is, what this team's identity is. That they are literally growing up every week right before our eyes. Yeah, and that's the hope is that they're they're growing and these routine these plays that they're making to win games are going to become more and more routine. Um, it certainly looked that way against TCU because it seemed like every time John that the defense had to make either a stop, you know, force a punt or get a turnover, they did exactly that. Mm-hmm. And the defense is certainly trending upwards, and it kind of reminds me. And I don't know if we've been able to talk about it on, on this podcast or not, but. Um, if if I've already said this, I apologize, but it kind of it still applies because we still are trying to figure out what this team is. I think it's inc- incredibly important to remember that this is technically a rebuilding season for Oklahoma. Um, Cliff Brown of the AP and I actually had a conversation about this about two weeks ago, um, right before a Thunder game. And he kind of opened my eyes and it's really simple. And I'm, I'm surprised I never really even gave much thought to this before he started telling me. But. You you say that you say these things about any just some random school out there. New defensive coordinator, new quarterback after losing two Heisman Trophy winners, a new offensive line. What type of team is that? You would say probably a rebuilding team that's going to win nine games if they're lucky, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, or, yeah. Well, this, I was thinking eight and four, sure. Yeah, this is the Oklahoma Sooners. New off, new defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, brand new offensive line outside of Creed Humphrey. And while their quarterback is brand new and not accustomed to the system, it is Jalen Hurts. So, I mean, it could always be worse. Um, oh, you got fortunate in that department. But when you think of it that way, it really, I think, helps paint a better perspective of what this team is. If you're really sitting there trying to decide, like, what is this Oklahoma Sooner team in comparison to previous teams that you've seen, it, it's a rebuilding team. It's like those Bob Stoops teams that w- would go eight and four, eight and five, except they have Lincoln Riley. They've got a lot of great talents that's been in this that has been in this system for some years, like in CD Lamb, Kennedy Brooks, uh, Creed Humphrey. And then they're fortunate in that they got Jalen Hurts, like I said. But at the same time, it's still a rebuilding year. You're relying on a lot of new guys, a lot of young, inexperienced guys to make those winning plays that you said, John. And it's going right. to it's going to bring about some eh, up and down results. Fortunately for Oklahoma, the ultimate results have been great. They've won the majority of their games. They're 10 and one. They uh, booked a ticket to the big 12 championship. And now they head into bedlam with the opportunity to uh, make it that much more likely that they could possibly get back into the playoff picture. If they beat OSU and then beat Baylor, if they are 10 or 11 and one, maybe in the top 10, who knows? But if you think of it that way, John, like to me, it, it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable going into Bedlam for whatever reason. It's a rebuilding team. They are what they are. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly talented. They have a high ceiling, but they have a, a a pretty low floor in the short term. Yeah, you're right. This is a transition year, and we all thought it was going to be a transition year. Remember the whole thing about, gosh, is Oklahoma going to be able to win the Big 12 this year, or or is this the year Texas is back? That was the preseason narrative, that and that was the preseason a- question. It was such an innocent time, John, when Texas was back. <laughs> back before we knew what Texas was, and but I think before we knew what Oklahoma was, right? So yeah. you have to you have to take that for you know with a grain of salt, I guess. Um, here's the bottom line, though, for me is uh, our man Keegan Renault posted a video from ESPN last night, and they're previewing oh. tonight's college football playoff rankings, and you know Jim Mora is on the set, noted. Uh, long accomplished coach Jim Mora, of course, who is on the set. How many jobs has he been fired from? Anyway, all um, of them. <laughs> he uh, he just he he's reacting to kind of a, somebody throws it to him, the discussion to him, and he's his first thing is, yeah, Oklahoma's defense is just a disaster. And I I, I stopped, I listened because I didn't see it live. I just was looking at the, the what Keegan posted, and I thought, 
It is? Is it? They're, they're ranked 54th, 56th, 53rd in the, in the nation in scoring defense, which is better than 104th or whatever last year was. Um, I don't think it's a disaster. So you go back and look through the last two games. In their last eight quarters of football, they've allowed, uh, I think, uh, 20 – no, is that right? Eight quarters, maybe six quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, 24 total points in six quarters. Um, that's not too bad, is it? I think not I might have. Po- I think I might have posted eight quarters, but that would be incorrect because of the Baylor uh, first half. But you talk about the four quarters against TCU and the last two quarters against uh, Baylor. That's um, that's something that's going to, I think, carry this defense forward. Is that what you referenced earlier? They make plays when they have to make plays. When the other team runs back uh, a pick six, you know, ninety-eight yards for a touchdown. For instance, the TCU game. Did you know TCU's last offensive touchdown came with 12 minutes to go in the uh, in the third quarter? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, 10 minutes to go in the third quarter. Oklahoma's defense got stop after stop after stop in that uh, in that the downstretch of that game. And it was, again, I think that's what we're seeing is that this team, this defense, it's not the it's not producing like Alex Grinch wanted it to in terms of turnovers and fists up and you know party atmosphere but they are getting stops and they're getting three and outs and they are getting at the end of games turnovers game-changing turnovers so again that's an identity of this team that to me they're growing up they're they're getting to be what uh, what Alex Grinch wants them to be you know the defense to me I mean so so far this season, and that of course can this can change drastically come Saturday. Thus far, I'm giving the defense and Alex Grinch an absolute A plus, and the reason why is, yes, did they look terrible against Kansas State for the vast majority of it? Yes. Did they look terrible against uh, Iowa State in the fourth quarter? Oh, absolutely. First half Baylor, yes. The problem with that is football. It takes four quarters to play football, and if you can put yourself in position to win games. Even though for the, you know, maybe two of those quarters or even three of those quarters, you look like absolute dog shit. If you can still put yourself in position to make plays, that to me is the sign of a good defense. And when you remember that this is Alex Grinch's first year, this is the first year with all these players in his system. And probably half of these players don't necessarily fit Alex Grinch's system in, in his most ideal uh, perfect world. You, you have all those caveats. And it, to me, it just comes away with, man, the defense is doing their job. They, they helped put OU back into the game against Kansas State. Yes, the offense scoring one or two play drives, that certainly helps. But OU's defense will go back out there and force three and outs or force punts. Great. Get your offense the ball back. Second half against Baylor. Great. The first three quarters against Iowa State. I think it really shows, and you can even see it in the TCU game, probably the most complimentary thing you can say about the defense is really all you've got to do, guys, is get two, three, and at best four three and outs to start a game or at least three or four punts, <laughs> not necessarily three and outs, but just okay. force three or four punts in the first half, let the offense score. And then the offense can just absolutely sleepwalk, give the ball, just hand the ball to the opponent the entire second half. And you guys will still win because the offense is, is so damn good in the first half. And you guys did your job for at least a half. So to me, the foundation for great defense to return to Oklahoma is certainly here with Alex Grinch, and it's certainly here with even some of these players that will be coming back. So, I mean, the defense is, like, I'm excited when they go back out into the field. I, yeah. I, no, lo- I no longer feel like, like, after that 98-yard interception return for a touchdown, the air got sucked out of the building, yes, but I did not feel like, oh, great, the defense is just going to start giving mm-hmm. up big plays because their heads are going to be hanging down. They were excited to be out there, just like Lincoln Riley uh, said in the postgame. Yeah, and, and here's the key to what you just said is the defense – has has told us anyway that they're excited to go back out on the field no matter what the situation is. So that's definitely a change in mentality. I want to read you a couple of quick statistics, Brady, and we'll put them in context when I get done reading the statistics. Okay. Uh, Ken, Kenneth Murray had nine tackles on Saturday. He had two and a half tackles for loss. Okay, Oklahoma as a team had five tackles for loss. Of uh, let's see the the total number of plays that TCU ran. That was two yards or less. 25. 25 of their plays was two yards, netted two yards or less. Yeah. Okay. Now considered the context, TCU only had 45 plays. 45 plays. 
in other words, Kenneth Murray was in on a tackle on one out of every five plays, if my math is correct, right? Yeah. Nine, nine times he had a tackle, and they only had 45 plays. In other words, in a typical Big 12 game, 90 plays, Kenneth Murray's going to have 18 tackles. Oklahoma's going to have 10 tackles for loss, which is pretty good. It's not an all-time elite. I mean, they had 19 against Texas, but uh, 10 is pretty good. And that means, let's just do a percentage, 56% of TCU's plays netted two yards or less. You're not getting any down the field. You're not getting any touchdowns. You're not getting any you know, scores or long drives or anything like that going two yards or less for in more than half of your plays. So uh, the Oklahoma's defense, I'm, I'm not going to go too crazy because it was TCU and they have a freshman quarterback and their offensive line is pretty sketch in some areas. But they've still got Jalen Rager. They've still got uh, Siwo Olo Nilua and uh, Darius Anderson. And that, that kid, uh, Max Duggan, the quarterback, has got electric feet and a live arm. And, and Oklahoma just shut them down, 17 yeah. points. So um, I'm, I'm – yeah, there were, there were some harsh moments against uh, Iowa State, Kansas State, and Baylor for sure. But I think on the whole, Oklahoma's defense this year – Absolutely. Gold star, um, a plus, uh, smiley face, whatever stickers you want to put on their defense, (laughs) they get it all. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to that whole thought that, you know, was around not just OU football fans, but just kind of the national media, uh, when OU went to the Rose Bowl to play Georgia. And then of course they lose the whole thought was, man, if OU just had an average defense, they probably win the national title that year. And then now fast forward to now and to those stats and those numbers that you brought up, John, what does that tell me? The defense is slowly but surely just making two or three maybe extra plays a game, you know, in comparison to the last two years on an average on an average scale. Oh, compared to the last two or three years, I'd say it's six or eight plays per game. Six or eight plays. Okay. All all that all that means. mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say they're making plays. Um, not just the game-winning, game-changing plays at the end, but they're making plays that make a difference like that Trey, Trey Brown uh, tackle um, of Max Duggan on the speed option. Yeah, That was a great tackle. He had to leave his man. He's thinking, okay, this is going to be a pass. Oh, no, there's speed option. He went out there, and he made that tackle with all the confidence. And this is Trey Brown, who has been you know, tackling deficient at, at times mm-hmm. in his career. That's what, that's what I'm getting at is they're making small plays that – in 2018 and 2017, those were big plays for the offense. They're, they're small plays now for the OU defense, but those were big plays for the opposing team's offense in previous years. Yeah, and that's that's what it tells me is, like, it, it was true that that's how close OU was. They just needed a defense that could make a handful, like, less than 10 additional plays a game. Yep. And, and not interceptions, not forcing turnovers, not big-time sacks for, like, a 20-yard loss, but just... You know, instead of it being a six to seven yard run or a four to five yard run, two yards, one yard. If that if those defenses could just do that, oh, you would probably have another national championship in, um, in their trophy room. And that, like that's the foundation that Alex Wrench is setting right now. Now the hope is in the short term, of course, you do have a realistic shot at the playoff, John. Um, and I guess we can kind of segue into uh, what Bedlam means, what the Big 12 Championship means, because OU is, you know, it's confirmed that OU and Baylor will be playing two weeks from now. Um, and then the Big 12 the- confirmed that yesterday, by the way. <laughs> did you see that on their social media? Accounts? I did. I did. Big, Big 12 <laughs> Championship game is set. So as long as they're on it, I mean, as long as the Big 12 has announced it three days after two and a half days after it became actual news, I think we can go ahead and make plans. <laughs> <laughs> this conference is so silly, but, um, they forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they forgot on Saturday. Oh crap. We, we got to put, put something out there. Oh, uh, to them, I guess <laughs> I, I, to them, I, I would assume they think it's just basketball season. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but of course the college football rankings will come out later tonight and I'm pretty sure I'll be glued to the TV and getting ready to uh, scream obscenities and all those great things. But, um, I guess around college football, John, Saturday was a perfect day for OU. Like, did it give a lot of OU fans, you know, heart heartburn and anxiety? Sure, because OU won a nail biter against an average team. But Oregon lost, and Iowa State won, 
and Baylor dominated Texas, and Oklahoma State won. So many good things happened. I mean, the only thing that was missing was our old good friend DeMarco Murray and his Arizona Wildcats uh, beating Utah. But the way it, it looks like it should play out, if everybody just wins like they're supposed to at this point, it really looks like, John, that a few weeks ago, I sat here on this podcast and said, I don't think OU's a playoff team. It really looks like now that if they beat OSU, they beat Baylor, and it comes down to the committee deciding between OU and Utah with their best win being against a two-loss Oregon team and maybe an average USC team who shouldn't be ranked, but they're just ranked just because. And that's another conversation. If if they're going to pick between OU and Utah, I'm sorry. Like, call me biased, but OU, I mean, it, they'll pick OU. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that OU's better than Utah because I love Utah's team. I love their defense. But I'd be hard-pressed to, to see a scenario where a committee picks Utah over Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts. Yeah, uh, a couple things. Um, Oklahoma was ranked ninth last week in the playoff rankings, and another team, Penn State, number eight, also lost. Penn to State Ohio lost State. as well. Yeah. So that takes them out of the conversation as well. Um, they now have two losses. Um, I'm with you on Utah's defense. I have watched them play three times this year, including their loss to USC. They were and bad. Their their defense is legit. I heard somebody saying uh, on a uh, national podcast, uh, I think it was Pete Thamel on the Yahoo Sports podcast, he was talking to an NFL scout, and the NFL scout told him that in past years you might see a guy who intrigues you on the Utah defense, kind of like you might see a guy who stands out, really jumps out on film at you, like on the Boise State defense or something like that, you know, on the up on the on the D front on the front seven or the D line. Yeah. And he said that the scout told him that Utah is loaded with NFL guys up front on their defense this year. Loaded. Kyle Whittingham's uh, so a good coach. He's he a is good a coach. good coach. And and their defense is absolutely legit. It's probably one of the top five defenses in the country. Um, they have shutout after shutout after shutout opportunity every week, um, including last week. But uh, I think Oklahoma fans are hoping for three things. Uh, really, you need two things to happen. One is for sure LSU to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Uh, the other is Oregon to beat Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. I think both of those things are probably going to happen, although Utah could complicate things by winning that thing. Uh, the other thing that you need to have happen is Alabama lose this week to Auburn. If that happens, that kicks the door down for, if all three of those things happen, that kicks the door down for Oklahoma. If it's just the two championship game games happen in, in Oklahoma's favor, they're still going to have to hurdle Alabama. And I think the, the committee in its infinite wisdom might come to its senses and say, uh, yes, Oklahoma as a 12 and one conference champion. Sure. They didn't play anybody, but their schedule is better than Alabama's who is 11 and one and not a conference champion. I think that would probably win in Oklahoma's favor, but you're right. When it comes down to a, an argument between a PAC 12, 12 and one tw PAC 12 champion, 12 and one Utah versus a big 12 champion, 12 and one Oklahoma. I think the Oklahoma logo and the Oklahoma marketability and the brand that draws eyeballs to TV screens is going to go in Oklahoma's favor versus what Utah brings. I mean, yeah. And to me, to me, what kind of annoys me about this scenario is like, okay, so you're of the opinion that if Alabama wins out, OU wins out, that that's going to be a potential hurdle, right? Is that what you, yes, just, just, just at because least it's a hurdle. Alabama. And, yeah. You don't you don't make that argument if it's Utah. You don't make that argument probably if it's Oregon. You probably don't make that argument if it's a Big Ten team other than maybe Ohio State. But because it's Alabama, because it might be in some cases Ohio State, those are the brands that that do get a look at eleven and one uh, alongside Oklahoma. You start comparing those resumes because those are the brands that people want to watch on TV. Those are the brands that bring some of the biggest fan bases in all of college football. Okay, well, here's here's where I have a problem with that, because when Alabama in the middle of the year, basically before the LSU game, when Tua, when Tua was out, you would always hear things about how, well, if Alabama kind of has like a, a, a ho-hum performance against whoever they were playing before, you know, some bad average SEC team, 
you would always hear like, well, the committee will, will take that into the into account. Oh, we know two is not out there or we know X, Y and Z isn't healthy. OK, if you're going to do that, because that that does like that's using reason, that's using logic when you're trying to compare and split hairs between the top five, top six teams across the country. Uh, health needs to be taken into account, especially when that player at the time, Tua, was going to come back at some point and be healthy, you know, God willing. And unfortunately for him, he got injured in a completely different way. But if you're going to use that logic, then I'm sorry, you've got to use it the other way, too. And if Alabama is, you know, one loss, OU has beaten Oklahoma State and they've beaten uh, Baylor again, and you've got to ch- basically choose between those two teams, I'm sorry. Tua's not there anymore. He's not going to be able to play in the playoff. Alabama is not as good in that situation with their second string. And if you really think about it, their third string quarterback, because if Jalen Hurts didn't leave, <laughs> he would be the backup quarterback. So, I mean, I know he was a grad transfer, but um, he was the third string guy. And I'm sorry, if you're going to use that that little, you know, well, we'll, we'll give him a pass here because so-and-so has a bum ankle, then you've got to use it on the other end, too. And, and to me, that would just be fair. But again, this committee's stupid. Um... Like, do you we, get what I'm saying? Yeah, but they just beat. They would have uh, beat nobody. Western. They beat Western Carolina with Mac Jones or Mac Davis or the country singer or North Dallas Forty. I I, I jest, of course. It's Mac Jones, um, who might be might be the second best quarterback in the country behind Tua. If oh, you're the playoff committee, I know. If you're the playoff committee, you have to consider. We don't know how good this kid is. We're going to have to wait and see. They're going to know how good he is when he has to play, or at least to some measure, when he has to play a real team. It's it's a miracle that his first game, his first career start or whatever, his first start this season at least, is was against Western Carolina. Um, the Catamounts provided no, no kind of test, and you do not get a read on what Alabama is without Tua when they play Western Carolina. So hopefully this week when they play Auburn, we will get an actual read of what Alabama is without Tua and and what kind of quarterback Mac Jones is. I mean, yeah, I mean, to me it's it's all silly. It's all silly to like even bring up any of these scenarios up because um, OU does have a game this week, and if they lose it, they're still going to the Big Twelve Championship, of course. But if they lose it, they're not going to the playoff at all. And there's still that thought in my mind, John, that this isn't really a playoff caliber team. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't think they they don't, at the end of the day, when everything's all said and done, that they don't deserve to be in the playoff because if they've won out and other teams have lost or other teams have looked one way or another, then yeah, there has to be four teams and why not let it be OU at, at that point? Um, I would rather OU go to a playoff game and lose than go to some Sugar Bowl and win. I, I don't give a shit about that stuff. So um, I guess let's just get right into the OSU game, John, because it is important. I mean, it's a rivalry game. It's Bedlam um, on the road. It's another test for Oklahoma to at least show that um, maybe they're not inconsistent and maybe their inconsistency was just a product of what we just talked about earlier on the show about it being really a tough stretch of the schedule that I I think we were all kind of frankly surprised about because there's new coaching, there's young coaching, uh, new teams that weren't good last year, like Baylor and uh, Kansas State, are pretty darn good this year now. So um, that's the thought. That that's the thought going into Bedlam that um, maybe OU's talent will win out and win the day, and to a point where they can just pull away at some point. But it's Bedlam. It's in Stillwater, and I know historically OU technically has more success in Stillwater than they do in Norman. But crazy things happen, John. It's it's a rivalry game. I'm not expecting a high-flying, high-powered offensive shootout like we've seen in Stillwater over the last few years, but I am expecting some weird things, and hopefully that doesn't mean Jalen Hurts putting the ball on the ground anymore. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Um, the the because this is a, an Oklahoma State defense that has really excelled at taking the football away this year. Um, I, I think they're not that far from where Oklahoma is in the national standings in terms of turnover margin because their offense is giving the football away so much. They're minus one on the season. And I think that's 72nd in the country, which is not good, but Oklahoma in turnover margin is 116th. And that is a, unfortunately for Jalen hurts and Kyler uh, Kenneth Murray and all those guys, it's a two pronged sword 
because they're not getting takeaways on defense and they're giving them away on offense. 116th in the country in turnover margin uh, is just atrocious. The, the, the takeaways are one thing, but when you're giving the football away at the rate that Oklahoma is, that's got to be disconcerting when you go up against a team like Oklahoma State that three straight, three straight weeks going into the West Virginia game, they had three interceptions in each game. This is a ball hawking team. Their secondary, when 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 the season started, we looked at Oklahoma's roster, Oklahoma State's roster. We looked at their secondary and said that's the team strength. Those DBs are the team strength. They're rebuilding up front, you know. And Bundage hasn't played all year. You, the, the front seven has been a challenge for Jim Knowles in that defense. But boy, those guys in the secondary—they sure are experienced. They sure are. They sure can play. And that has come to fruition this season. Those guys are ball hawks. They take the football away. And Jalen Hurts and, and Lincoln Riley, for that matter, better be on their P's and Q's when it comes to ball security. And I would not be surprised if Oklahoma tries. I don't know if they're going to be successful, but I, this is what I would do if I were Lincoln Riley. Whatever they did against uh, in the second half against TCU, where Jalen Hurts had 173 yards rushing for the game and uh, Kennedy Brooks had 149 yards rushing for the game, and the three of the two of them combined for 50. Trying to remember, 53 carries, I think. Yep. That's what you got to do against this Oklahoma State team. The weather's going to be the ball's going to be cold and slick. Um, I don't think it's going to be wet, but I do think it's going to be windy, and that's going to that's going to make a difference on where that football goes and who catches it. So my sus my suspicion would be for this game that Oklahoma really tries to. Uh, slow the tempo, grind it out. I mean, they're not afraid of Oklahoma State, but in terms of um, more than 20, 20 to 25 passes, I think that would be foolish. I think Oklahoma wins this game by running the football like they did last week. Seeing as much as I want to say, like, yeah, like you just said, the strength of Oklahoma State's defense are their defensive backs, so what do you do? Okay, run the football. Well, I, I don't know if you saw this, John. I, I know you did. But Mike Gundy is fully aware of that. Of that is what um, OU is going to try to do because he he walked the media down memory lane and gave everybody a history lesson, uh, particularly I guess the younger people in the media that aren't aware of who Thomas Lott is or who Steve Davis is or Charles Thompson, Jamel Holloway, just basically all the wishbone quarterbacks from the '70s and the '80s. Um, that I I could just I could just see it now, John, like in the press conference, maybe like somebody that works for the uh, the O'Callie or something, whatever the student paper is at Oklahoma State, um, as he's as Mike Gundy is rattling off these Oklahoma wishbone quarterbacks' names, they're trying to tweet them out, and then also at the same time googling like, who the hell is this? W- yeah. What is he talking about? Just a pure, purely perfect um, millennial moment in my mind. But what is the uh, wishbone like? What? Like people, like people of our generation would be asking, what is the the wing tee? <laughs> We had to go back and research what the wing T was. Bud Wilkinson's split T. Split what T. The, that's another one. That's right. The the what else is there? The the single wing offense. The veer. There's so much if you yeah. just dive into old offensive systems. But um, well, what did you think of Mike Gundy's comments? Because to me, they were a little they were a little out of character for me because he he'll he'll typically talk about his team. He'll rarely talk about an opposing team like that because. I, I think he was trying to be complimentary, but he was also saying things that y- you you just don't say. They're, they're pretty bulletin board material. Like yeah. they're a one they're a one man show. Like, do you think CD Lamb and I, Kennedy Brooks are going like, oh, okay, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I guess we'll just uh, I, I guess we'll just kick your ass then. He's trying to be complimentary, but he's also he probably wishes he hadn't said that like immediately when it came out of his mouth. I mean, let's let's be honest. Uh, Oklahoma is a one man show. C.D. Lamb will go stretches of games. I mean, he caught two passes last week, both in the second half. Uh, he had one catch earlier in the season, game with another game with two catches, I think. Um, Kennedy Brooks has gone – has he got a zero-carry game this year? I think he's got some some certainly a lot of single-digit carries. So to, to a large degree, he's right. It's not like he's you know poking fun at anybody or going over the edge or crossing, crossing that line or anything. He's just speaking the truth. Oklahoma has been a one-man show this year. Uh, I, you can you ter- can you can speak the truth, John. Like that's fine. But it's it, it's kind of the same thing I thought about Ed Orgeron's comments following LSU's win against Arkansas, <laughs> where he was like he was like we don't we don't celebrate beating Arkansas. They haven't beaten anybody in in a few years. It's like that's true, 
But man, that was so disrespectful to me from a head coach. Because <laughs> you, you're talking about kids and young adults trying their their hearts out. Yes, they suck. We all know we're making fun of Arkansas as we speak. They suck, but they're still playing f- a violent sport the best that they can. And you're still talking about a bunch of paid professionals trying to coach them. And you just go out there publicly and say, they haven't beaten anybody in a while. We're not going to celebrate this win. That, to me, is true but disrespectful. And this these Gundy comments kind of teetered on true but disrespectful. I, like, I'm, not, I'm not at all offended by them as an OU fan by any means. But to me, it's just... I mean, I don't know. You're right. You're writing checks that your ass might not be able to cash here. Jalen Hurts going to run the triple option. Uh, we gonna get after him. Uh, go Tigers! Like, it just it just struck me as like <laughs> I want to I want to show you guys that I'm the smartest guy in the room right now. Like they're a wishbone team disguised as a spread. Like like okay. There's some like, of that. That's some like, of that. That's true. The triple option is, is part of it. Is true. I mean, he does have three options on some of his RPOs. He can give. He can keep it. Or he can throw it there's there's a little bit of that's true now obviously the blocking schemes are way different uh that what they're doing with the tight end and the the flanker and all that stuff is <laughs> totally different but uh um it's not like he's uh, like i said it's not like he's wrong it's not like he's lying oh man all those all those wide those talented wide receivers in the wishbone are just rolling in their graves right now going <laughs> i wish i played in that type of wishbone where i could catch hey. 60 balls a game a, a season and 15 touchdowns. I got an offer to walk on as a wide receiver at the local uh, local school that ran the veer option, basically triple option. And I'm like, are you crazy? I'm not going to go out there and play wide receiver for that group. I don't want to block every play. No, receivers want to catch the ball, man. Come on, you, throw, throw me the football and I'll, uh, I'll I'll consider it. Well, you probably didn't know about it at the time, John, but you could have just shown them your recent medical history concerning your concussions. But those didn't exist back then. They were just like, oh, I've got the brain pain. Here's one for you. That'll go away. Here's something you don't know. Uh, My thumb, an x-ray of my thumb is in a medical book somewhere. I got my thumb dislocated so bad that uh, (laughs) the doctor got me to sign a waiver. Can I use this in in, in a medical book? I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, of course. So somewhere out there in the world, John Hoover's uh, x-ray, left thumb x-ray is uh, teaching young students how to uh, repair a a severe dislocation. It was, he said it was like a car accident. He said he'd never seen a a dislocation quite this severe. So I got that going for me. You need to go find this doctor, find this book (laughs) so that when it's republished, you can say like photo courtesy of John Hoover. Or whatever. I, I, I just I'm pretty want sure. royalties. Well, yeah, just say f- photo courtesy of John Hoover, and then in parentheses, subscribe to my YouTube channel at John. That's it. On John. <laughs> like you're I'll everywhere, take, man. I'll take the royalties. It's the medical field, man. The medical profession is uh, all the money I've paid into it over the years. I'm ready to to reap some of the rewards. So uh, yeah, oh. let's see that coming back my way. I guess with uh, a few more things on Oklahoma State, uh, John, I mean, is it as sim- is it as simple as OU just runs the ball, they go home with a win? I mean, is it really that simple? And I guess the other thing with that is is can this offensive line do it when they know when Oklahoma State knows full well of what's coming? Like, is this offensive line has this offensive line shown you enough the last few weeks heading into this um, uh, Bedlam game? I think the one thing I can say is I feel better about the cohesion on this unit than I did a, about a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I've seen this I've seen this offensive line be pushed back more times than it should yeah. uh, for me to be absolutely confident that, that yeah, Jalen Hurts is going to rush for 100, Kennedy Brooks is going to rush for 100, CeeDee Lamb's going to catch the occasional pass for a touchdown or two, and then oh, he's going to just walk away with a win. That's not going to happen. Um, first of all, it's Bedlam. It's in Stillwater. Those are always close, pretty much. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, Oklahoma State ranks 39th in the country in rushing yards allowed per game, only 139 yards allowed per game. So to think that Oklahoma is going to roll into Stillwater and just rush for 300 yards is probably folly. However, the last time they took the field, they rushed for 366 yards, the most ever allowed by a Gary Patterson defense. Uh, Gary Patterson and the TCU Horn Frogs last week came into that game ranked um, first in the Big 12 for sure, and they were only giving up 120 yards per game. So against a better defense, Oklahoma ran for almost 400 yards last week. So they may try to do that. I'm not, and they may very well be successful. But uh, where where I think the difference might lie is they're not going to probably have as many opportunities because you're going to see the Oklahoma defense 
struggling to get off the field with Chuba Hubbard on the other side of the field. Chuba Hubbard, to me, could be a difference maker in this game. The guy's averaging 175 yards a game rushing, leads the country by a lot. He's probably he's he's definitely going to win the Doak Walker Award. He's probably going to get him at least mentioned for a trip to New York in the Heisman Trophy ceremony. So um, I think I think in terms of all that stuff together, you know, I, I don't know. Oklahoma's not going to have as much opportunity to run the football and and pile up rushing yards. They're going to have to make plays, big plays in the passing game. Well, obviously the big thing in this game, I think outside of OU being able to do uh, successful things on offense by simply not turning the ball over, um, it's going to be Oklahoma trying to corral Chuba Hubbard in some way, shape, or form. He's going to get his yards. He's going get, to get his runs. The key is to just not let it snowball. And like I said earlier about this defense, uh, on from a four quarter on a four quarter standpoint, they have yet to let something snowball to like from a beginning of the game to the end of the game mm-hmm. uh, circumstance. Um, but maybe Chuba Hubbard can have such a good second and third quarter that it just won't matter and it'll just be kind of like the Kansas State game. But uh, I mean, no Tyler Wallace. We've got Drew Brown who has some questionable arm strength anyway. Um, mm-hmm. I believe he averaged what four yards of completion against West Virginia. Like just basically, yeah. he was th- basically he was throwing sideways all game. And what does that tell you? It's just like Sam Ellinger. He's not either the coaching or the quarterback is not confident that they can make the throws necessary downfield to beat you. So, yeah, Drew, so the, Drew Brown hasn't played in two years. So, so I'll give him a pass for, you know, trying to get his feet under him. Uh, he found out last week that he was going to be the starting quarterback for the final two games. So there's no doubt there. He had some rust to shake off. Uh, yeah. And I, I think he did that. He was his passing. What was he? 22 of 29 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was 60 some yards. So, so not, not a lot, not, not great, obviously, but uh, serviceable, serviceable against a defense that West Virginia is not that great. So um, if they can do that again, they're not good, but going, going to West Virginia, like I, anytime, challenge. Mm-hmm. anytime I, I, I question uh, who, what big 12 team is playing, next week and i see it's on the road at west virginia even if they're good i'm just like ah, i don't know about that one it's it's, yeah. it's it's a long road trip that's right um but here's the deal i talked about uh chuba leading the nation in rushing with no tylen wallace and drew brown and his quarterback what is he averaging uh what did the, what did what was his total last week 100 and just over 100 yards yeah so um they got some things to figure out to get him to break him free or, or spring him or whatever yeah, and, and I think it really opens the door for a guy like Dylan Stoner, who I, I can just I can see so clearly just running all over the secondary um, against OU. <laughs> Maybe you know just too many PTSD moments of watching uh, smaller receivers just have their way against the secondary. But um, really, it's just going to come down to the defensive line, the front seven, if they can get pressure, if the slanting works, if uh, the stunts work. Ronnie Perkins can get can get home. Jalen Redmond can get home. Kenneth Murray can continue to uh, basically blow plays up before they even develop uh, like a heat-seeking missile. If that happens, Oklahoma State won't even have time to even try to stretch the field, and then Oklahoma can pin their ears back and really try and stop Chuba Hubbard. And if that happens, I mean, the offense can be pretty pedestrian and still be able to score against their defense. So, like, all signs are pointing to an OU victory, John, but... Like it's bedlam, and yes, I know he's beaten them a million times and only lost like twelve. Like I get it, but every situation is different. Yeah, every every situation is different, and the games up there are always always tense. There's no doubt, um, and the weather could play a factor. But uh, I think Oklahoma. I think I'm going to make Oklahoma State minus fourteen, or maybe I get thirteen this week. Uh, my lock of the week uh, with Oklahoma winning the football game. And uh, Oklahoma State covering the the points. I mean, it's it's safe at this point. I mean, yeah. with the way Oklahoma's offense is executed over the last few weeks, I mean they they haven't covered since West Virginia, right? They didn't. They obviously didn't cover Kansas State. They didn't cover Iowa State. They didn't cover Baylor. No, that's right, West Virginia. Yeah. Good God, Vegas hates them. <laughs> <sighs> well, uh, any other final thoughts, John, before we sign off and uh, head no, off? No, just to, a happy uh, Thanksgiving. To all the listeners out there, can't uh, can't wait to be, get to hang out with family at some point this week and uh, eat some bird. That's going to be fun. Oh yeah, um, actually, 
we I do want to give a shout out to um, <laughs> and I love saying this this website out loud. I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, John. Dirtburglars.com. <laughs> Are you familiar with it at all? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, yeah. So it's it's used to be Land Thieves. Rest in peace, Land Thieves. Um, but they're actually pretty um, loyal listeners to the Inside OU podcast, and uh, a few guys actually had a question for me on the forum, and I didn't answer because like I, I'm not going to speak for you. I believe it was uh, a user by the name of uh, JR's Barbecue or JR's BBQ. It might have been Stinger. Um, what, what's up, OU Cub? I know you're listening. Shout out to all you guys. But uh, after the Iowa State game, like y- you had mentioned, I guess, some um, uh, post-game questions you asked Lincoln Riley. And these posters are like, how come these how come Lincoln Riley doesn't seem to like John Hoover? Like he he he'll answer questions from other people in like this tone. And then John asks him a question and he's just like, I don't know. And my, my initial re- reaction is, well, John's the guy who holds everybody accountable uh, in terms of the OU coaching staff. And so maybe Lincoln's just like, Oh God, I've got to answer to this guy. But, um, I would just assume Lincoln was probably tired at that time and probably thanking God that the, uh, uh, I can't Brock Purdy didn't see the tight end underneath on the two point conversion who was wide the hell open. And he threw to the other guy, but uh, I mean, I don't know. How do, how would you answer that question, John? Well, I came home uh, the next. Uh, I came home late that night, and the next day, I told my wife. I said, uh, you know, two and a half years in, uh, the the Lincoln, Lincoln Riley um, was finally rude to me. And she looked at me, and I said, I'm kidding. He wasn't rude to me. I said, but he did for the first time. For the first time in three years of doing this, now he did interrupt my question which I've always applauded him for not interrupting anybody's question. Okay. So, uh, and maybe it was taking me too long to ask the question, but I don't, I don't think it's a John Hoover thing. Um, like it was with Bob Stoops. I think Lincoln just kind of sensed that, no, nah, that's not where I, that's not the question I want to answer. <laughs> that's not where I want this to go. So I'm going to jump in and say, uh, give him my answer. So no, I, I caught that too. Um, but I, I will say this, if you have other, empirical evidence out there that Lincoln Riley takes a different tone with my questions than he does with everybody else's question. I'll listen, but I don't think that's true. I think, uh, regardless of what, uh, is asked uh, now, keep in mind that night was a stressful night. He had just been through some stuff and he, he was not willing to, to sit and listen to some stupid sports writer, ask a question. So I'll give him a pass on that one. There's no doubt, but I've been also kind of monitoring Ever since then, is he is he put out with my question? Is he giving me a different tone? And he hasn't. He hasn't cut me off. He hasn't been short with me. He hasn't kind of blown off my question or anything like that. He's been very good. And that's the difference, really, uh, between this head coach and the last head coach. That's one of the big differences, I should say, is that um, he has a he has a much higher tolerance for idiots like me than Bob Stoops did. <laughs> Bob Stoops had no tolerance for idiots like me. Uh, whereas Lincoln Riley, he's got that tolerance. You're not an idiot, John. Although not just barely two days later after the Iowa State game, you're the one who gave him the platform to basically say to the fans, please show <laughs> out against TCU. Please let it be an electric atmosphere. And once again, the the students left. Oh God! And like really quick, I, I get is the sense ju- that Lincoln. I get the sense that Lincoln likes me. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, that's that's good to know. Lincoln Riley, fan of the Inside OU podcast. Um, really quick, does it is it just me? Does Lincoln Riley want two thirty kickoffs? Yes. <laughs> did I would love some, it. Uh, did he have a little sass in his voice on that one? Or what? Yeah, we uh, we don't know what two thirty kickoffs are around here. So, uh, <laughs> like, look, I love two thirty kickoffs, and I don't give a damn that they're not nationally televised. It's Oklahoma. If it's if Oklahoma is on at four thirty in the morning, people are going to tune in. There will be eyes on the TV set that aren't just OU fans. People tune into Oklahoma football because they mean something in the grand scheme of things in college football. So come on, give us some 230 games. Lincoln Riley wants one. Not going to happen this year. Nope. You lose, and you're either going to play 11 or 7, and that's just where we're going to have it. Uh, John, thank you so much for jumping on today, and uh, go have a happy Thanksgiving this week. All right, Brady, you too, man. Thanks. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast once again. Uh, the numbers are still growing really strong and much stronger. 
Um, hopefully we can ride that momentum into uh, past Bedlam, into the Big 12 championship game, and then maybe if all throughout December we'll get ready for a playoff game. I don't know how we'll do the podcast in December while OU's off for three or four weeks. Uh, I'm sure we'll figure something out. But for Mr. John Hoover, this is Brady Trantham. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you guys later. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Catch all of John Hoover's work at thefranchiseok.com. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. And be sure to catch all of his radio call-ins throughout the week on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.